My name's Tina Waldrum. I'm the host of this podcast. This show is all about giving you, the listener, actionable insights to share your faith. I interview church leaders and congregation members alike to gain some understanding that both you and I can implement to share Jesus. Every week I work hard to locate and interview someone who can share their experience. Can you do me a favour? Would you mind sharing today's episode with one or two people that you know? One or two people that would be encouraged, that would be helped by today's content. Just copy the link and send it on via text or email. I'd love to see more people encouraged to share their faith. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Win Win Evangelism Podcast. My name's Tina Waldrum and today I'm speaking with Natalia Ozipova and we are talking about evangelism lessons from Ukraine. Natalia and her husband Andre are pastoring Evolve Church in Victoria and also Natalia is the National Director of Missions Interlink. Welcome to you, Natalia. Thank you, Tina. It's really a joy to be here with you today. I'm very excited because recently I was watching my television and saw an interview on the project that went Australia-wide from your involvement with working with people that are fleeing from the Ukraine, arriving in Australia, and you're doing an incredible amount of work. How did that come about? Why get involved? So it all happened very sudden. We did not plan any of it. Well, nobody planned the war, obviously, and... I was always wondering in my life, how does it happen to people that they actually get involved with refugees? What moves them? For me, they were kind of saints from another planet. Like you live your own life. Everything is already, you know, stressed enough. You're under pressure of life and then suddenly you drop everything or you actually have to carry on with everything. Plus, you get involved with some massive challenges that happen, you know, on the planet. And when Ukrainian war started, of course, we had the choice just to read news and be terrified. And of course, we have more access to Ukrainian news than most Australians would, because we can read in Ukrainian and in Russian. And for a couple of nights, we just couldn't sleep because our relatives are there, our friends are there, friends' churches are there. And we were reading and reading and we realized we just can't continue like that. It will drive us insane. We have to do something. So what do you do? First reaction, jump on Facebook, say a few words about war, you know, and then you know nothing is changed around you. So it all came to the point that you actually can't get rid of the thought you are called for such time as this and you're equipped. So what can you do? And immediately you know what you can do. So we connected with people. Actually, people started connecting with us from Ukraine, asking if there's anything Australia can do to rescue them. And it just unfolded very quickly. Uh, We got ourselves involved in uh, accommodating people into Christian homes, arranging their visas, getting money for the uh, tickets for families to come. And yeah, it all just unfolded. So in this five months, we are now helping 756 Ukrainians in Victoria who fled the war. And they all stay, most of them stay with Christian families. Some of them already moved on, found their own accommodation, jobs. Jobs were offered by Christian families again. They found furniture, they have food. They got some courses taking, like barista courses to start the new employments and everything. So a lot has been done in these five months. And it's amazing to see that we as Christians were able to be there in time of need. 
Absolutely. And my understanding is that you pretty much had to um, drop some things, even your local church that you were pastoring in a way. You've had, you had to pull back for a little bit to put your focus here. But tell us what happened there. So both me and my husband, we have full-time jobs. Plus we were leading little, you know, church plant and just normal Sunday 5 p.m. services, getting together, worshiping Jesus, having fun, you know, having coffees after all, going for dinners after. And of course, when the war have started, we realized we cannot continue to do everything because to help Ukrainians, it's not just a lot of admin work, a lot of fundraising work, but when they come, you have to minister to them. They all have post-traumatic syndrome. They all been through bombing. They were living in shelters. They were living underground. Uh, parents taught their kids to eat rubbish so that if parents are killed, kids know what to eat and how to survive until they're found. I mean, the stories are just, you know, dramatic. So when they come, it's not enough just to give them food. It's not enough just to give them clothes, put them in warm house. You need to give them a lot of your soul, a lot of your heart. You need to listen to them. You have to be able to sit with them. But you also have to create community because they're coming into a new place. They don't speak English, most of them. They don't know each other. They're frightened. They're fleeing. So the first idea was, okay, how about we just close all Sunday services because it takes too much of our time and effort. And we totally focus on them. So we created this welcome hub on Tuesday nights. It's a space where they come. Uh, it's like a cafe, nice cafe with good barista coffee, nice Ukrainian music most of the time. And we just chat to them. We sit around tables, we chat with them, we listen to them. We introduce them to each other. They help each other like, oh, I've been to Centrelink, I know how to do it. I bought my SIM card so I can help you. So creating this community. So we had probably over 600 people coming through this welcome hub, finding jobs, finding accommodation, finding friends. We have kids program. So it's like a church, but it's not church. Because one thing we made sure we do not come with, you know, bashing with the Bible and saying, you need Jesus now. I mean, of course they do need Jesus. We know Jesus, only Jesus can give peace. But we decided we will do our mission a little bit differently. We will build trust with these people. We'll, we will not pray on their vulnerability. We will not, you know, smash them, you know, repent now, you know, <laughs> you need to go to heaven. Jesus loves you. We decided we will show it. We will show them to the extent that they will ask, why are you doing it? It's actually an amazing opportunity because to be able to come with the answers to their needs, it's just God's privilege. Now, most of them, they're very open. We have stories like there was one lady when they all know, know that we are pastors. They all know it's church who is doing it. We just don't overload them with anything. We just say, we're here for you. Whatever you need, talk to us. And they open. So one lady, she came and she says, oh, actually my mom was going to some church, you know, back in Ukraine, but we don't like it. I said, that's fine. That's fine. You know, God still loves you and we will help you anyway. And four months later, she asked me, how can I come for your Bible study on Wednesday night? There were another family, very secular Jewish, I would say. They try to follow something, but they're not actually committed. And they said, 
is it okay that we will come here because I hear your pastors? We said, we, we don't care. We're just here to help. Uh, and they said, but we won't help if you preach Jesus. I said, we will not preach Jesus to you. <laughs> not with words anyway. <laughs> now they're sitting at our table on Wednesday nights and listening to the Bible study. So we separated welcome nights, which has nothing to do with Bible or church, although they know who we are. And then we invite them. If you want to know, why we do what we do, come on Wednesday night to our home for Bible study. Some started to come, others are waiting for something to open closer to train station. And others, that is most amazing thing, I think what's happening, volunteers who join us, 90% of our volunteers, they're young adults and they're not from church at all. And there would be nothing to drag them into church, but they're helping every Tuesday night playing with kids, setting up tables, talking to people. I would say ministering to them because, you know, they have compassion and they have love. And they say it's Evolved Church doing it. And then these volunteers, they started to come for Wednesday nights because they said, guys, we see something is happening. We just want to be part of it. So Jesus is fully through the works of, you know, practical works, practical answering needs, driving them somewhere, bringing them food, setting up tables. Jesus is there and they see the soul. So I'm not really sure when we're going to go back to Sunday services because I'm thoroughly enjoying what we're doing and I can see how lives are being changed, how peace, shalom of God is filling these people's hearts. It's just amazing. It makes me smile a little bit, to be honest, Natalia, because it sounds like the most effective church that's going on you know it's it's so it's just such a wonderful story and it's bringing so much hope so what I really love and and heard loud about what you just said was um, meeting people's needs and then people are in community with you enough so that you're having these deep conversations you're helping them meeting their needs and naturally out of those deep connections people are asking questions about who you are and about your faith i think sometimes this could be a potential issue is that maybe we are involved sometimes with good works but there's not enough space where we're building those genuine relationships what do you think about that? Because the win of this seems to be that the welcome hub that you see people for a significant amount of time regularly and meeting their needs seems to be a big difference in what you're doing. I agree, Tina. Good, good on you for picking it up. Actually, what uh, when we speak with Ukrainians, now that they are kind of trying to rebuild their lives and they are not as traumatized in as four months ago, they start to share why they stick with us, but not with other organizations. And they say that the most important thing for them was that we're not just available actually at hubs, but we're available 24 seven. And I think it's a big challenge, challenge for pastors, challenge for ministers. Where is this balance of life and ministry and work and everything? Well, for us now, there is no balance. But I'm not a big fan of balance. I always say we need to work with passion, not with balance. Whatever I do, either with my husband, you know, on a date, I'm passionate. Uh, Playing with kids, I'm passionate. Doing my work, I'm passionate again. And if I'm with Ukrainians, I'm passionate about Ukrainians. It's not about balance. It's about being present in everything you do. So we decided from day one that we will answer the questions in time and out of time because they need answers now. 
I've been in situations when you're waiting for answer and you're full of anxiety and you're worried if your question will be sorted out or not. That's the last thing we wanted them to experience. We wanted them to feel that they have someone they can rely on. So from day one, they would ask us, how do I get to this train station? And normal response would be just Google it. (laughs) But you go extra mile understanding they're not in a space of making their own decisions. You know, they're really traumatized. So you explain them, you lead them, you find volunteers to go and walk with them the walk. And uh, just pretty much everything. Where do I find milk? Which milk is better? You know, my son has uh, allergy. What replacement for this food you have? Where do I find jobs? How do I apply? Can you look at my CV? Imagine 700 people doing that. And then you kind of, you get to the point like, I want to give up, I want to give up. But you understand, if you build this relationship now, these are your people forever. And that's exactly what happened. Few months later, a few weeks later, sometimes you just tell them, would you like to come to church and see people who actually paid for the tickets and, you know, for furniture? And of course they open, they're like, oh yes, please. We want to go and say thank you. We want to bake cake and bring it to them. So they're very open. So when you bring them to church and say, hey, this is the family who paid for everything. They want to come back again and again. And that's what's happening exactly. These people who stayed in Christian homes, they go to churches. Not because they, you know, they were forced to, or not maybe because they even believe in Jesus yet, but just because they're thankful and they're open. Or they go just to meet, you know, the sponsors who say, just to say thank you. And then they see everything. They're like, this is amazing. We actually believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We just never saw church like this. Can we come again? And then there is this one particular church. They help more than 20 Ukrainians now to accommodate, you know, and assimilate and found jobs for them. And more than that, and all Ukrainians are coming to the church now and they bought headphones. So they hear everything through translation. We found volunteer who is doing it every Sunday. So it's just amazing. It's amazing what can be done when you actually connect to people's needs. Because I think being pastors, saying it to ourselves, learning a lot of lessons here, we're thinking even when we go back to normal church, if we ever go back, <laughs> to be honest, but if we ever to go back, I think one lesson we need to learn We need to answer needs of people and questions they ask, not to try to fit them into boxes we created and tell them, these are the answers, these are the answers, when it's not. Like, we don't want to do Alpha just now. We understand the nights are busy with English studying, with jobs, they're doing two, three jobs to survive. This is the last thing they want to do, another night listening something, you know. So that's not what we want to do. We want to be where they are. We want to be at their jobs. We want to be at spaces there. We want to visit their homes, bring their food, sit and drink tea, speak about Jesus, you know. So what we do now, we also invite Ukrainians into our home, just setting up dinner for a couple of families together, listening deeper to their stories, creating connection, asking about their hobbies and seeing how can we help? How can we bring a little bit more joy into, you know, into their lives? Like one guy, he had a birthday and he he's very social like you can see he's out there you know but he has no place to gather his friends so we have this membership in Bumoris Yak Club so we said how about we do barbecue you know you bring your friends we set it up and let's do barbecue together so he brought lots of people lots of Ukrainians you know that he already met and he was just enjoying this amazing facility it cost us nothing except half of our Saturday was gone <laughs> but this guy 
he's so open now. He's like, why are you doing this so much for me? Nobody ever done this. So being church like this is really exciting. And I mean, it's sad story behind it. It's strategy, everything. At the same time, I'm just grateful that God gave us this privilege to be part of solution because none of us could orchestrate it in this way. All these connections, how Australian Christians and non-Christians are open to help, providing facilities, food, money, homes. You're just amazed, you know, when you want to be in, in the center of what God is doing, it's, yeah, it's just amazing what's happening. Yeah, and, and discovering the needs, I mean, some of those, I would assume, working with people fleeing from Ukraine are, I guess, obvious, some of them, but many of them you've got to mine and find out what are those specific needs to help people. And we can all do that in our lives. I think that maybe the challenge, Natalia, for myself is I can be thinking that the people in my community where I live or people that seemingly look like they have it all together is actually trying to find the needs because everyone has some very real needs that we could be meeting. Absolutely. And I think we, we are good at asking question in, in ordinary church, how are you and how can we help you? I mean, when we immigrated here, uh, we were straight away asked by City Life Church where we settled, uh, how can we help? Just Just let us know. But I guess it's just not enough because when you come, you're kind of trying to have it all together. You don't share that you don't have enough money for food. You don't share all these things and you don't know what help is available. So I think what we need to learn is probably to go deeper in conversations and actually being willing to answer those needs. Because some of needs, even with Ukrainians, at first you dismiss them. I mean, I'm just normal, you know, person like you. So sometimes food, yes. You know, like orphanage kid, yes. But when people ask for something extra you don't have, you're like, hmm, seriously? But this could be a, a real, you know, open door. We had very unusual needs asked, you know, asked for. For example, one guy, he comes to us and he says, could you please help me to buy real boxer shoes, you know, to box in? And you're like, seriously? Like, <laughs> can I buy you a pack of milk and bread? You know, maybe that's enough to start with. Boxer, boxer shoes, but when you actually not assume anything, but ask why, like what is the need, and you figure out he's actually champion in boxing, but he was fleeing with nothing and he wants to practice again because he believes now that he settles in Australia, he can actually, you know, fight for Australia. And then there is another guy who comes, another pastor, and he says, actually, I have someone in boxing business, you know, they have special gym and they train champions. And they're connected and the guy is now training Aussie kids and he's going to be, you know, continuing his career here. But it all starts with like, okay, why do you ask this? Or there, there was another family and they said, we don't feel comfortable, you know, walk around. We need help with a mobile scooter and it's all over Facebook groups. So you don't see these people. And you're like, seriously, well, there are, there are so many older people who would benefit from mobile scooter, you know. But then you realize, this is long-time disability issue and they're just not sharing it in full. And the guy actually is bound to wheelchair. And when his wife leaves, she leaves him with two-year-old 
daughter and he can't help her, but wife has to work because they have to provide for themselves. So then you're like, okay, let's go extra mile. Let's put it out there. And fair enough, next day you find amazing wheelchair, motorized, everything. And you're like, wow, this is like whole life is settled because now he can take care of his little daughter. Wife can go into full-time job, you know, and they will be fine here. So it's like just listening to those needs, trying to go extra mile, connecting with people and then just letting it go. And I'm sure if we come back to them and say, hey, can we tell you, you know, the gospel? Can we tell you why we've done what we've done maybe a year later? They will never say no. They will never say no to our prayers or anything. I'm sure they will never say no to inviting them for Christmas, you know, service or anything, but you you need to be willing to listen. And it's possible to do in churches. You don't need to have Ukrainians around. You can do it in churches. If only we are willing, you know, to help people more than just giving them gospel. Yeah, it, it's such a challenge. It is. Um, particularly when you feel like you don't have the answer or the immediate answer. Like I've watched you on social media um, putting out calls for things. So you're coming across people in the Welcome Hub and you're having great conversations and then they're presenting their needs, which you're exploring and having the deeper conversations. But things like that, finding a, a motorised, you know, like wheelchair and different things, that's not within your capacity, but you're still saying, yes, I'll see what I can do. And then I've watched it time and time again that you've put these calls out on social media and it is extraordinary. Like I've seen things like that. I've seen doctors come forward. I've just incredible laptop, computer, everything imaginable. Everything. So it's all out there in community. So imagine if every church has people and people have needs and they only have needs because their needs and someone's capacity are not connected. So maybe us as pastors, we have to be that that hub, you know, because people trust us. People trust us when they come with their needs and people trust us when we go out there and say, not just, welcome to my church or this Sunday I'm going to preach about this and that, but actually going there and saying, hey, I have a person in my church and there is a need. Anyone out there who can help? I am sure there will be people saying, that's so easy for me, that's my business, you know, or this is something laying in my garage. I think it's whole community working together. So some people need to become vulnerable enough to share their needs. Others need to be willing to go out there because I feel awkward sometimes putting those needs out. Like I'm begging for uh, for things all the time. And then I had a person actually last week uh, coming up to me and saying, please continue to do it because we can't help with any of the things you already put out there, but we're willing to help. So maybe one day there will be something and we will know this is our time. We also had part in it, you know. So I don't know. I understand it's not pastoral job to do this, but maybe it is. Maybe we need to become less of talking head, having all truth, you know, but and become that community hub for people to come and share their capacity, what they have and their needs, putting them together, making them friends. Maybe this is our call. I don't know. And in all this, Jesus is so much glorified, believe me. <laughs> it's an incredible unfolding story to just see it going on and on and on, but you're just jumping in with those needs. I mean, what's the, been the biggest, I guess, 
evangelism lesson for you or what's really switched in your mind in being involved and seeing how Jesus is at work? What would you say to that? I was very transformed through this experience. I thought I was transformed before, (laughs) but this time I'm coming from Pentecostal background, saved by miracle, transformed in one day, dropped off all bad habits, you know, new life, just preaching gospel everywhere I go. And I thought this is the way Jesus will come for everyone. So you just need to preach the gospel and the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, and the power of blood of Jesus will wash the person, you know, and there you go. And if they don't hear the gospel or if they hear the gospel, but they don't listen to it, it's their problem, you know, because Jesus is the power to, has the power to save. I live my life like that. And now what I'm seeing is even in the Gospels, that Jesus always met the needs of people's first. people first. He would touch and heal them, and then he will preach to them. He will meet their soul needs, their heart needs. He will uncover, you know, their heart desires first. He will connect with people first, and only then he will give them kingdom and good news. That changed me. The whole parable of Samaritan, Good Samaritan, was just life transforming for me in the first weeks because it it became so overwhelming. I thought, I'll stop. I can't do it any longer. You know? And then I saw myself. So what will I go back to, to my religious duties, just doing what I do, like the priest that passed by. What I saw in that parable, that both of those religious people, they actually had heart reaction to what they saw because it, it says that they saw and they crossed to other side of the road. Something scared them. Something frightened them. I don't know if they prejudice or understanding how much it would cost or how much time it would take, but they're on the road to more important things. They both had to cross the road to escape connection with that beaten up man. And then Good Samaritan comes and he puts aside, you know, his business or whatever. He just puts him himself into shoes of this guy and he ministers to them. And I thought, I have no excuses to live my life as nothing has happened in the world. I have to connect. I have all the means to connect. I have oil. I have money. I have wine. I have connections in inns, you know, in hotels, so to say. I can bring these people. They can be restored. And then later we can talk about Jesus. So that was life transforming, to be honest. It is challenging because we all go along in our Christian journey and we don't realize how much embedded stuff we have in our lives <laughs> that we think is just correct or or whatever until a practical situation arises that Jesus throws us into. Until we're confronted with real life. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing evangelism opportunity among Ukrainians now because either they stay here or they go back home in three years. We're planting that seed of God's shalom, God's kingdom in their hearts. They know church is different. They know there are people who believe in Jesus to the point he changed their life. They see it all. They hear it now. They experience it. What can happen if the 700 plus Ukrainians who hear the gospel now and see the gospel in action, even if all of them go back to Ukraine, that country is going to be changed and transformed when they come back. What if they stay here? That's amazing, you know, they will grow in the Lord and they will be in churches that took care of them. 
it's not necessarily have to be evolved church because I'm a strong believer in people assimilating into Australian culture if they moved here. But these people are a little bit different because they never planned to move. They never planned to immigrate. So we have to minister to them, not assuming they want to assimilate. But it's an amazing opportunity for the gospel. Yeah, it is absolutely incredible. And it's very challenging. So I'm going to drop into the show notes today the interview that the project did with you because that's fascinating. Thank you. And also how people can stay connected to what you're doing. We'll drop all the links there. But there's so much to think about and I can't thank you enough for your time. So thank you so much, Natalia, and I look forward to seeing everything else that you do. Thank you, Tina. Thank you so much for inviting me and it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Win Win Evangelism podcast today. If this was helpful for you, please share it with others so they can learn also. If you, your small group or your church would like to upskill more in personal evangelism, learn how it can be easy, natural and not forced, why don't you check out our online free sample course on missionwithgod.com forward slash free sample. I trust that our podcast and our online personal evangelism course can be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.